Oscar winner. Oh my God, Oscar winner. This movie just won. That's right. By the time that this comes out, this movie will have either won or lost a bunch of Oscars. And and we don't know. Ten. Ten. It'll won ten. It won all ten. Isn't that amazing? It just won all ten. Or it lost all ten. Oh my god. How disrespectful to World War One veterans. What a fucking bitch. Uh. Live from Cool Boys Center. Hold your dicks and rub your tits. You'll be ice cold. Here come the cool boys. Just the young boys. <gasps> <gasps> so cool. So cool. So cool. I see cool boys. Greetings, cool boy nation. And welcome to a special installment. Edit. Uh, Use that right. first section as the cold, as the cold open. No. Yeah. And then come off the uh, the, oh, the the theme with greetings because that's what I was going to do. We don't have to cut any Dunkirky open. That's what I was already going to do. Uh, you, you, then you interrupted my my. Reason. Oh, sorry, sorry. That, was, that sorry. was obvious to me. That's how we always do it. Okay, good. This is a, no. This is going to stay in. Yay! Sorry. I'm, okay, I, I, I've smoked a little bit. I haven't smoked in a while. I drank a little bit. I haven't drank in a while because I've uh, been sick. Uh, yeah. I'm going to leave all this in so Redacted Podcast Company can know what they're in for. Greetings, Cool Boy Nation, and welcome to a special installment of the Cool Boys Podcast. You know what they say, there is a hole in the wall where I can see it all. Okay. I'm Private Felk. And I'm Major Ballard. Why you uh. promote yourself over me? <laughs> You're just a private. Felk doesn't start with a P. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm, Shouldn't it be yeah. like First Lieutenant Felk? No, I like I like Private Felk. So cool. So cool indeed. This episode, we'll be discussing Sam Mendez's World War One rom-com, <gasps> 1917. So we will forgo our cool boy updates and get right into 1917 and all the fabulous spoilers it has given us. So cool. That's right, cool boy nation. <laughs> Spoilers from here on out for 1917. It's time for spoilers. So juicy. Who won World War One? We everyone. You'll have to to watch the movie to find out. Although the movie doesn't <laughs> yeah, the really movie answers that question. The movie doesn't really answer that question. In fact, it kind of implies that the Germans won. I mean, you, you, you might think, because the last thing that happens in the movie is the British retreating. And, and I are, love that, uh, that that's something that it shares with Dunkirk. Yeah, the, we noticed that this is two times uh, out now that we've had British war movies uh, in which the Brits just kind of escape or don't fight. <laughs> or the point of the story is to retreat. Yeah, or don't or, or just lose. It's kind of right, weird. Because uh, Dunkirk, the whole point of the story is to get off that beach. Yeah. Before the Germans come, and this movie is get those orders to those people before they're killed and massacred by the Germans over there. Yeah. Doolittle's Raider, Raiders and Pearl Harbor are pretty are not really connected as far as I understand historically. Like it wasn't the same people involved in either of them. Uh yet somehow Wait, wait, you mean the same people involved in the uh, uh, the flight over Tokyo 
Uh, weren't weren't were flying during Pearl, Pearl Harbor. Harbor. Yeah, yeah. No, they weren't flying during Pearl Harbor. No, 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 no. They weren't the same people involved. No, no. Michael Bates knew that he can't end this movie with with America losing. You have to have the American victory at the end. It was Rafe and Danny. They're real. Their true story was told in Michael Bay's opus, magna opus, Pearl Harbor. I've seen the director's cut, and it's incredibly violent. It's <laughs> unnecessarily CGI violent or he's just like, all right, you know what? They're right. I was too PG-13. Blow this dude's head off. Rip this dude's face off. Blow his arms off. Blow his legs off. Blow him to pieces. Blow him to pieces. Add some bodies. It's just like, it is way more violent. It is crazy. Generally speaking, when America makes World War II movies, we try to make it clear we won. And I, I'd say the same about World War I movies, except I can't really think of many World War I movies. Oh, there's a couple. Um, War Horse. Engagement is one of my favorite World War One movies. It's a French film. It's War Horse. War Horse, a Spielberg film, yep. Um, it's based on a play. Obviously, there's All Quiet on the Western Front based on the novel. I thought that was World War Two. There's the document. No, that's World War One. Um, the documentary that just came out this year, or last year, sorry, yeah. in 2019. Uh, they Shall Not Grow Old no. by Peter Jackson. was yeah. awesome. I'm talking narrative movies. And that I saw before I saw 1917. And to me, it was like watching 1917, the color palette, everything about it felt like this, like, oh, shit, I'm in VR version of, the, of this documentary. Like, I'm going through this war. Like, here we go. I've said it before on other movies, but this felt like Star Tours of World War One. What, 1917? Yes, absolutely. Flying through the French, you know, fucking villages that have been bombed out, the no man's land, the trenches. Oh, we just needed a wacky droid to help yeah. us go along on our journey. I guess Lawrence of Arabia is kind of a World War One movie. Yes, Lawrence of Arabia is a great World War One film. Oh, Felk, you'll love this one. Fly Boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, who directed that? You tell I, me. Uh, uh, starring, uh, James Franco. Yes, the Frank. Went during the beginning of the Frank Connaissance. I think also, I Sons. think Tintin's in that. Huh? Tintin's in it, I think. Jamie Bell? Yeah, uh, Will, what's his name? Jamie Bell? Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell, yeah. He's not listed. I think he's in uh, Flyboys as well. Cast. Uh, oh, I think Sebastian Stan might be in Flyboys, maybe, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I'm looking at his Wikipedia. Neither of these people are in Flyboys. <laughs> oh, nice. Awesome. It, well, who is in Flyboys? Jean Reno, uh, who, who's awesome because uh, he's French. Uh, Tyler Labine, uh, the actor who I, who, who I believe you once thought should be cast to play you, basically, if you ever made sex and needed a big actor. Or uh, no, not a big actor. Needed not a big actor. Yeah, but, but but more of an established actor than yeah. Needing a big actor would be Danny McBride. Oh yeah, that's that makes sense. He'd be yeah. oh man. So yeah, that that would that could be a movie. Still, oh they're still there. Yeah, for sure. Hey, but by the way, we have yet to really talk about 1917 or give it our boys. I don't know, but a character, an actor named Gunnar Winberg uh, in Flyboys plays the character known simply as the Black Falcon, and I think that's interesting. Because well, yeah, he's, uh, he's he's also played by uh, Sam Wilson yeah. in uh, Avengers Endgame. Yeah, looking forward to the Black Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah, there's going to be a whole series we're going to watch of six episodes. Yeah, that's a small cast we'll do in May. So what is your Cool Boy rating of 1917? Oh, boy, I'm going to give it two and a half, boys. 
Really? Yeah, my review is more like 19 boring teen. Oh! <laughs> I was kind of bored for about a good hour of, of this movie's two-hour running time. There's a lot of, uh, you're supposed to be tense because uh, something could happen at any moment, but it doesn't for like 20 minutes straight. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not tense anymore. This is movie is like the it's an inverse of Dunkirk because uh, uh, Dunkirk was all about you know obviously regular editing within the twist of three non non uh, sequential stories or non linear stories but I guess both right? no they're sequential they're just not linear no they're not sequential either because they're no they're, they're not sequential no yeah, so they're not they're not linear it's it's a complete experiment right yeah and then this in 1917 is. Uh, almost real time, except there's like an eight hour uh, nap in the middle of it because uh, yeah. it's all supposed to be one take, which we'll oh, dude, uh, discuss the whole movie in theory. Was nap times. It was it was long takes bookended by nap times. It's the first opening shot is two guys taking a nap, waking up. And then it that shot eventually ends when that one guy eventually ends up, you know, survivor guy ends up taking a nap, getting knocked out. He wakes up beginning of long take number two and then ends long take number two, taking a nap in the field just like he was in the beginning of long take number one. Interesting. Yeah. OK. Um, I forgot what I was. What I was uh, You're talking about said, Dunkirk. Yeah. 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 How, how, yeah. This is an inverse of of, of messing with time in, in this way. It's it's you're experiencing everything that that uh, person experiences. Um, my biggest problem with Dunkirk was the fact that it, it, it just it was too distracting to do it that way and on fucking views, distracting it was fucking distracting um, fucking distracting with 1917 it was uh it was the opposite where i i could have used some fucking distractions because i was just like now we're gonna be in a car for five minutes we're going along in a car ride everybody <laughs> Gotta get, there's no way to get through nine miles in real time uh so obviously at some point he's got to be in a car to whittle down those miles because it feels like we walked a mile in real time. Just two guys telling stories about how a guy lost an ear. I was bored a lot of it. And that's not to disrespect uh, World War One or, or, or the uh, heroes who fought in World War One in any capacity. I think that uh, it's just for a, a way to make this movie. Uh, typically, you want to talk about the fighting in a war. Oh, is this too jarheady for you? Not the walking. <laughs> not the walking. Is it too much Jarhead for you? No, Jarhead's, Jarhead's fine because Jarhead was about the suck. It was about going insane from being Also directed by Sam Mendes. Yeah, I, I know. It's a better movie. It's a much better movie because it, it, it's about what that character is going through. I disagree. Uh, not having to, to fight for so long. And 1917 is just uh, about walking while you might get shot at. Cool. Um, yeah, I would say... Uh, cool Boy Nation, check out our Dunkirk spoiler cast, episode 29. It's a great episode, a great spoiler cast. Um, actually got us in a lot of trouble with Noli behind the scenes. <laughs> You'll never hear about it. <laughs> but anyway, I don't remember what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so not a problem anymore. <laughs> nope, not a problem anymore. <laughs> so anyways, um, I, I need to give my score, but I wanted to kind of uh, mention that yeah, you you hit on something about Dunkirk and how Dunkirk was experimental, um, and it didn't really connect with mass audiences. Uh, an, a couple other long take films like Birdman was experimental and it sucked, so nobody cares except I guess one best picture, one a few yeah awards. Uh, 
And then there was rope, you know, by somebody who made it. I don't know, some nobody. No, yeah. yeah. And it was an experimental film, and it's old, so nobody alive has seen this Hitchcockian yeah. classic. There's also a lot of like honorable mention movies that are not long takes, uh, like one long take, but they have such long takes in them, like Children of Men or Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan does that, uh, you know. So there are movies that like will will push that. There's a reason why we edit movies the way we do. It's because it's, that's that's optimal. You know, you got all these different tools. Tools. You, you make a film. You get you movies are made three times on the page on, when you're filming it, and then all, then editing. And, and basically, doing a movie like this says, "All right, we're going to eliminate one of the three opportunities we have to make the be- this the best movie we can." Because you're, you're you're when you make a movie like this, you're obviously massively limiting your editing. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonders, you know, a a three four minute long one take shot or whatever i mean even the end game has that fucking long it's like three minutes where hawkeye's killing all them asians um because they're yakuza not because they're asian hawkeye's not racist although jeremy renner might have personal problems i don't really know allegedly my point is that that's something that's that's cool a cool see like th- way to do a scene but when you try to make it an entire movie um God, there's others. Snake Eyes also all one shot. I, I, I remember that movie with Nicolas Cage. It's Brian De Palma. I think that's all one shot. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of movies with like wonderful long takes. And I mean, Gravity, obviously. I mean, don't forget that one. Yeah. That was, but but that again, was like that's long takes. It's not, though. I mean, th- that movie is almost entirely CG with like the actors faces being the majority well, of I, the film. I, you don't get real long takes anymore. I, that's why I yeah. always say Saving Private Ryan, because that's real. It's it's one of my favorites that's actually real, like yeah. real shit, like real long takes in there. The entire battle in the French uh, a village town that's bombed out that they have their last stand in is done, you know, like in, 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 in this incredible, elaborate uh, a set of pyrotechnics and like real tanks and like all these extras and like, you know, squibs and stuff and fake rockets launching on wires and stuff like that, that they digitally paint the wires out later. And all this is being done on long takes, like a couple long takes. Yeah. And they are beautiful because you follow up them on these long takes. So you have this through line on the, uh, on the long take and you get all the way to like, you know, from the bottom and you run across the street and then you get to a, you know, a, a cafe front that's all bombed out and then you make your way up the stairs and then you, Go into one room and then you go into another room and you go out on a balcony and you see that tank fucking firing on like Tom Hanks and his men that you were just with moments ago. Yeah, that's impressive because there's, I guess, no stitches. And in this movie, uh, every time there was an obvious place for them to do a stitch was it, it, it to me, it was fucking distracting. It was I was just seeing the gimmick rather than focusing on. Uh, oh, really, Felk? How many edits did you see? I actually saw seven edits. Like I was like, oh, I know there's like at least seven, seven sounds edits. about se- seven sounds about right. Yeah, I, 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 it was not often. And, no and there way, Felk. Like I'm joking. I'm being I'm being facetious. There's got to have been like this movie probably had 120 edits. The fact that this film, we'll get into this later when we get into our Oscar nomination section. But the fact that this film did not get nominated for best editing is actually a sin. I, I kind of disagree. Well, it depends on how what you think of editing as. Because well, I think this one kind of breaks the mold of how you can give the award for editing this time for something vastly, vastly different than you have ever before. Because this one's about all of the fucking cleaning up they've done yeah, to see, hide the edits. To me, an editor is somebody who could come on after rap and still have a massive creative impact in what the movie is. And in this film, the 
editor was mostly just a problem solver for stitching together shots. Like Thelma, Shoemaker, and Goodfellas is one of my favorites. But that's that's like that's one. There's a one great long take, but that's what like four or five minutes. No, no, most. I'm just saying her in general is an example of what you just said to me, like where she took a film that was already amazing shot in the can, yeah, and then she added an extra layer to it by being the edit, by, by being the editor to that. Yeah, film. that's what an editor does, in my opinion. And this is the kind of movie that where where the editing is all in previs, basically. The editing is is decided in, in pre-visualization where, where cool. you're going to be. That's cool. It's the same kind of cool that like Gravity wins awards because, you know, it's essentially a bunch of long takes and it's all done in this new CGI environment where they're created like this VR set, essentially. Yeah, that's I think, fine. I think they're they're rewarding the, the technical asset the film has provided. But at the same time, the film does a great job, in, in my opinion, yeah. of weaving that, that technical like layer through the characters and revealing, you know, like this narrative that is very simple and very precise. And like, we get more characters that are revealed through action because of that. Well, yeah, I think it's really fucking awesome. I mean, in terms of war movies nominated or or that one actually best uh, editing, uh, Black Hawk Down be a great example of a movie where you have just so much coverage and uh, such a messy, it's like fight such a messy scenario that you, you have to then make sense of. Uh, with a lot of, I mean, there's a lot and of honestly, coverage and a lot of, a lot of, of choices had to be made in the editing there. Some of Black Hawk Down, though, the editing is sloppy. Some of it is sloppy. And if you see the extended edition, sure, it, 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 some of it is cleaned up because of it. But there's still moments where you're kind of lost in the marketplace. You're like, okay, wait, which who, who, which group's heading which direction exactly? Now, that was a hard thing. No, to you're do disoriented the when the characters are disoriented, and you have you have your bearings when they know where they are. So it, it works. I think it works fine. I, think it, it, I don't know. I don't know if I ever found entirely 100% my bearings in that movie, but I did. I mean, I love that movie. Like, I love fucking that movie. Yeah, I did too. I think it's great, obviously. I do. It is great. Um, But I really want to... Go to something else that we, that's very similar to Black Hawk Down. It's a war film, an incredible war film, like a five out of five boy war film. I think Same it is. Ryan, it was a five out of five boy war film to me. Of course. And it has very similar plot threads to this 1917, right? You have brothers involved in the plot. You have characters. These have to, you know, cross a massive journey through dangerous, perilous lands and no man lands and bombed out villages well, they walked and tunnels across France, and all that shit basically right yeah but to find another person specifically and to deliver this message and whatnot and that's all that stuff right that's 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 the connection i have to the same part ryan to like 1917 yeah that's a, that's a similar thread but um the executions are, are quite different and uh yes. more importantly uh, saving private ryan imagine if they're you know they just walked and talked and maybe only five minutes of the movie involved what war usually consists of uh it would be a very different film uh saving Private ryan opens with d-day and ends with a uh i guess fictional bridge battle over a bridge i mean it's, yes. it's, it's, it's yes. fictionalized based on i mean i'm sure there was actual yes. battles over bridges well 1917 is fictionalized as well it's also but the battle and the uh, german uh uh quote-unquote retreat which is really just them reinforcing behind the hindenburg line like that's all based on a real thing, and then the the battle that occurs is based on what a real battle that did occur, um, in in the film. But it's all fictional yeah. in the film. I've said before I don't really care about World War One that much. It's 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 such a muddled thing where I, I'm honestly not even sure if 
America were even the good guys or who was the good guys. I mean, the Germans are the bad guys, but you the Germans they had reasons the bad guys in that. One. Yeah, they it had reasons kind of, for their, their, their attacks. It, OK, it's, it's all about perspective and, and it, it's not clear cut. The Germans are the bad guys. Now, here's the thing, how World War and uh, World War One ended the Great War, how it ended uh, the Treaty of Versailles. Right. The armistice. The, the 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 fucking um, world at that time the, the 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 powers that be that were involved in the battles and wars in Europe they got together and they went huh who should we blame for this fucking war we got to blame somebody someone has to take the blame for this and at about that exact same time Germany had a coup a coup d'état and it took over, you know, the state, right? It was, you know, the 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 fucking uh, the king, if you will. I forget what, he's, uh, what they called him. Fuck. Uh, why am I drawing a blank? Supreme Chancellor's not right. What the fuck was it? What they call him? The Kaiser. They oh, ran yeah. the Kaiser. They ran the Kaiser out of town. The Kaiser and the whole uh, government just whoop gone. And so this coup took over, and new government, yay! And we're not responsible for the war, yay! Meanwhile, the front is still fighting the war. The World War One battles and all that fights and all that shit. And, and, and back in Berlin, yay, we're no longer fighting this war. We're done. Oh, but we can't get the communications out there because lines are cut. Lines are bombed. Lines are, been, you know, fucked up by all kinds of mud and rats eating through them and all, everything. Everything could possibly happen. Yeah, that's, that's a big part of them, what 1917 is about, I guess. So no one went to this, you know, armistice to represent Germany. So they went, hey, guys. What if Germany, <laughs> what if Germany, we blame it on them. And then, you know, everyone's like, yeah, it's a great idea. Awesome. Good killer. Do it. Germany's the fucking one that did it, man. So the Germany ends up in this crazy fucking depression because of it. Yeah. They're like, yeah, sanctions and fuck you. And you owe us this for the, the war that you started. When you watch most World War II uh, historical documentaries and such, there's great ones on Netflix. World War II in color. Very good series they kind of just start with uh so after the treaty of versailles germany was fucking economically depressed as fuck and destroyed for 20 years and then this this guy started you know just saying hey why don't we just start violating all the uh things that are uh keeping us down and also maybe you know steal gold from a certain population and then also invade poland and and uh and then do other stuff um so it kind of it kind of just starts after Treaty of Versailles, and it's like, look, obviously during when we didn't know any better in the late '30s, there was a large portion of Americans that, when they heard about that Hitler guy, kind of thought like, all right, you know, good for them, you know, standing up to the bullshit, you know, like taking Henry back Ford, their country. Henry Ford was before that, and he was like the reason why uh, Hitler loved uh, uh, some of the things he said. Yeah, and the fucking royal family was kind of even okay with them, you know. So and early on, uh, Bush Steel was had some involvement with early Germany and uh, helping them when they were like coming back out of the depression. And my point is, is that all that kind of uh, comes down to was Germany fucked over during the Treaty of Versailles, or yes. was it legitimate? Uh, a legitimate response to the actions of Germany before and during World War One, because if it wasn't justified, no, because they didn't start the war. If it wasn't justified, then anytime we talk about World War One, we're talking about a kind of a murky uh, situation that's set up for 
you know, really a really bad circumstance in creating a, you know, a, a situation in Germany where World War Two happened. Some, some, something as evil as yes. the Nazis could take could take hold. Yep. Yeah, that uh, thing, no, that uh, you're you're definitely not wrong. Many historians have said the exact same thing. World War One is absolutely the prequel to World War Two or World War Two is the sequel to World War One. It is absolutely 100 percent the case. The 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 results of the Archduke Ferdinand being shot in the head by Gabriel Princip is the that one small assassination where this essentially if I've, I think I've said it before in the podcast I'll say it again all that happened was the 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 convoy the yeah, turned the wrong convoy, way yeah. is working their way through this town you know and they can't fucking get their way out because they you know they're they're trying different routes because they're worried about bomb scare and it's it's true because you know there was there were terrorists that were trying to bomb them and in the process there was this one terrorist who's drunk as fuck as fuck you know as a skunk and he's in a bar and he's like uh, i'm gonna get some sun he walks out the fucking bar and he sees the fucking Archduke Ferdinand in the middle of this convoy that's slowly trying to back up because they have to back up one car at a time. He just fucking walks up to the Archduke Ferdinand and just shoots him in the head. And he's like, I did it. And, that, you know, that's that starts World War One. Essentially, it's 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 the, you know, the, the final straw on the camel's back that collapses everything. Yeah. And, 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 and with World War Two, we have Pearl Harbor. So. And that one event is the reason that Hitler ended up becoming empowered and and then ended up killing all these Jews, 6 million Jews, along with a lot of other people. Yeah, and it is obviously that which gives us the nice, very clear indication of the good guys won uh, because we, you know, we don't have anything happening mm-hmm. in 1940s America that we're clearly the moral good uh, America is and and uh, and Great Britain is. Of course, the USSR also had a holocaust that killed like 40 million people using starvation so it's not like oh yeah it's not uh, like they, they yeah, were good I either think it's up to 60 million on, or over yeah so yeah or, or it's it's it, uh, what stalin yeah did is one of the most disgusting and most horrendous travesties across the entire fucking world and one of the history of the whole world it it and most people don't know about it. And like, yeah. they're still to this day in Siberia finding mass graves where Stalin was like, if you potentially voted uh, ever for the other side, even if I wasn't even in office, kill them. Yes. And, well, but we the, can, and their families. We can confidently know that uh, the, the U.S. armed forces and the Royal Armed Forces versus the Nazis the people speaking English are the good guys uh, and the people speaking German are, are the bad guys. And you have that nice moral clarity and you don't have that anytime you talk about uh, World War One. I. I know it's – yeah, because there's co- complications obviously. Oh, you know, Pass of Glory. I forgot about that. That's a great Kubrick film. It's all in English. Uh, Kirk Douglas is in it and it's about uh, soldiers that decided to not charge when they should have charged. And therefore, they are uh, 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 executed by the French government. And it's all with American accents, and it's the it's all French. It's all a whole French army, well, the French, a whole French thing. And it's Kirk Douglas doing his Kirk Douglas. See, I, don't, I honestly don't know if we were on the side. We were on the side of the French in World yes. War One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the fucked up thing. I can't remember what president was it. Was it Wilson? I think it was Wilson who said, you know, ran on the whole idea like we're not gonna go into World War One. And and then everyone was like, yeah. Well, it's not World War One then, right? It's the not Danny. Yeah. We're not the, Danny the Rafe war. here. Yeah, the we're not war. we're not gonna go into this war. 
And everyone was like, yeah. And then he was like, uh, you know what, actually, now that I'm president, we're going into the war. And everyone was like, what? He goes, sorry, forced the draft. Everyone's going in. And then, you know, people went into fucking World War One. Yeah. I, I get yes, you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like I, I, I don't know too much about what France's involvement is in World War One. I. I do, obviously. I mean, France gets interesting after the fucking occupation when they had you know Charles de Gaulle and and, and the, the Charles de Gaulle and the uh, La Resistance, so, which you know itself has like a lot of heroic stories that I think are are ripe for storytelling. Uh, but I don't again like with World War One, you don't have. Well, you don't have case, that clear narrative. There's a real big issue. Although, with I, I, I am pissed off how many fucking people today in a, a current a political situation, you know, just, just calling itself the resistance, like like you are goddamn La, La Resistance. It's just, it's very disrespectful. To, I have uh, no idea what you're talking about. Anti-Trump people co-opting the imagery and language of oh, okay. the French resistance as if they're currently fighting a similar scenario is to me very disrespectful uh are you sure they're not just making fun of star wars or using star wars uh well i mean there's a lot of resistance flag on, on at least one house in west hollywood that i've driven by more than once oh i didn't know okay well anyways i i haven't seen any of that it's crazy um all right i'd like to say something about the movie because i haven't had a chance to really even say my boys yet even mm. you have no idea even what, if I, what i even think of this film pretty clear you like it that being said world war one so i'm not going to say my boys yet World War One, uh, Felk. So um, a lot of the reasons that we don't have very many stories is because it's obviously not much American involvement, many great American battles. But there was like the Battle of Somme. It's a very big French battle, Battle of Verdun. And we don't talk about them much other than the mustard gas. Um, so uh, World War One is mostly discussed in the sense of like modern warfare being introduced for the first time. It's the beginning of modern warfare in all reality. The, the big stories would always be like you'd have, you know, British soldiers decked to the nines and beautiful, like, you know, dress wear and soldiers holding their swords and on horses and marching straight in. And Spielberg does this in uh, War Horse. He yeah. kind of represents this. And they're just marching straight into battle. And then German soldiers setting up machine guns and then gunning them down. And like just killing them and just like and the people going, oh, I guess we can't do that old style anymore because they just use these other new weapons that just gunned us down. It's the arms race was designed and built and like the whole concept was that it was 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 what led to World War One. People building all these huge howitzer like cannons, massive ones, bigger, 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 bigger. Yeah. And they had nothing to use them on. So eventually World War One went off and everyone went boom. Yes. Use these howitzers, baby! And they built these huge... I mean, you can look them up online, I'm sure. Google them, search. These huge, ridiculous cannons that are like oh, skyscrapers. And they're firing them off to hit fucking, like, troops. You know, thousands of kilo, kilometers away or whatever. That being said, a Spanish flu hit in about 1918. And then lasted to about 1919. Mm -hmm. Wiped out a huge chunk of the population of Earth. And, and it, what was weird about the Spanish flu was it took out zero to five-year-olds, classic, of course. Took out 60-year-olds and up, classic, mm. of course. And it took out 20 to 40-year-olds. What? 20 to 40-year-olds? That's not right. They don't understand that part of the Spanish flu, H1N1. Never got a grasp on that. Why did it take out 20-year-olds through 40-year-olds? Those are like healthy people. So 
a lot of these 20-year-olds and 40-year-olds in the Europe area and the United States that probably fought in World War One were young kids who were able to survive. H1N1 was the swine flu. Uh, I'm confused. Spanish flu, 1918, is, uh, I think, also called H1N1. It was an avian flu. Interesting, um, interesting. I'm learning. So, so anyways... Um, this this flu that wiped out like you know a huge chunk of the population of, of the world like like a massive what's the percentage what does it say it's like a fifth what is it uh five hundred million people or one third of the world's population were infected number of deaths was estimated to be at least fifty million worldwide with about six hundred seventy five thousand of those deaths occurring in the United States well so I don't know the number I guess it's, it's definitely it's definitely under a fifth. Uh, or it's it's not a fifth. But anyways, that being said, so you had these like people who survived World War One. Kids essentially survived World War One. People who are the ages of eighteen surviving World War One, and maybe nineteen or twenty or twenty one mm -hmm. or twenty two who who survived all of World War One when they went, started when they were eighteen back in nineteen fourteen. So oh shit, what was that age? Twenty, twenty one, twenty two. Fuck. Some of this population that survived the war gets hit with Spanish flu and dies. So these stories aren't told. So we just kind of barely know of World War I. That's why They Shall Not Grow Old is such an amazing documentary that Peter Jackson uh, produced. It shows you real World War I in color, including the violence. It puts sound effects. It has ADR specialists that go in there and look at the actual voices and they compare it to what they know at the time and what people would have said and are able to get like – really close, probably identical, if not just unique dialogue to add to the scenes that fills it in and makes it feel so crazy and so powerful. And I love They Shall Not Grow Old because of that. Hmm. And then, like I said, seeing like 1917 was like VR version of that. But I really did like 1917. I thought it was an incredible film. I thought it was an amazing use of tech. I thought it was an amazing use of storytelling with this one story shot telling. I thought it, it, it inherently was very stressful and very suspenseful with them. And yeah, it was a lot of walking. And think about doing this movie, right? Mm -hmm. Without this style. It is. It is th something like Saving Private Ryan. It's like you're jumping to the different parts of the field that matter. You're jumping to the points where it matter. You're talking to the conversations that matter. You're not following them all along. And I would say, did I, did I have it given my boys yet? No. Okay. Usually. So I would say I don't give it a full five out of five boys because of this one thing. It was about five minutes into the movie. I went, oh, this long take's going to feel long. And, and it does. And it does a little bit. Birdman felt long. There's a point in Birdman where you're just like, all right, so we're going to bounce around from the past and the present, and it's all one long take, and it's flashbacks, and I don't give a fuck. And you watch Rope, and you're like, okay, so we're in this fucking apartment complex, and I don't give a fuck, right? You see mm -hmm. these movies about long takes, and you just you don't really give a shit about them. Anyways, so I, I, I 1917, I was like, oh, no, this is, it's, it's this feeling again. I'm not going to like this movie. But then... I felt I felt like, you know, I, I got immersed into the story, into the environment and I loved it. And I really did like I would give it like a four out of five boys. Um, it, it, hmm. it, it should be a five out of five boys film. I think it, it's great if it is a five out of five boys film for other people, because I think it really should be. Um, it's just I don't know. For me, it's just that it's I love long takes. But it's something about a movie and you're in a long take and you just start following the character. It's usually like five, ten minutes into the movie 
you get this feeling like you're just following through a hallway or something or a trench in this film. And you're like, all right, so there's going to be walking in this film. And then there's moments that are changed because of it. Like, I want to give you a good boner and a bad boner real quick uh, from this film for me. So the perspective is always with these fucking soldiers we're following, right? These two guys, right? What are their names? Uh, we have them in, uh, in the doc. I do it not is... remember them. <laughs> their names. Uh, George McKay played Lance Corporal William Schofield, and Dean Charles Chapman played Lance Corporal Thomas Tommen Blake. That's right, Tommen from Game of Thrones, who is actually the brother to Richard Madden's Lieutenant Joseph Robert Blake. Robert. Yeah. King Robert. And that's um, Sam Mendes' great uncle, right? Or uncle or something like that? Yes, Alfred Mendes. This movie is actually based on true story. I want to get into that in a little bit. Okay. That's actually uh, true, though. So um, this film has this moment where you're following them from perspective. You're following these two soldiers, and you see everything from their perspective. And I love we see this dog fight all of a sudden, right? Uh, it's happening between these like you know British aircraft and this one German aircraft. Yeah, and they're just like, that was a little. That was like the one Michael Bay moment where, where they had to jump out of the way of a fucking crashing airplane. It also felt very Empire of the Sun to me. Because that's another movie, a Spielberg film, with a long take where Christian Bale, as a little boy, is on a rooftop, and he's screaming about P-51, Mustangs, Cadillacs of the skies, as they're flying right over his fucking head. And it's all this one long take, and you're looking at it, you're like, holy fucking shit. Like, this this is amazing, because this is fucking, this is real. Like, this is a real thing. When, like, you know, you today you see something like that, and you're like, uh, this isn't real. It's a CGI, but in, in Empire of the Sun, it's real. Empire of the Sun is fantastic. See Empire of the Sun if you've never seen Empire of the Sun. Um, it is. So I, I would say, though, like you're watching this movie in that dogfight sequence, you're kind of watching. You're like you're a little bit in awe because it's in distance and it feels real. And then, yeah, it crashes and it creates the uh, the pilot falls out. And and, you know, the two soldiers are like immediately like fighting over like whether to, you know, save him. And then they like save him. They pull him out. And then they like I think it's like Blake who's Tommen. He's the one who's all like, we need to fucking like really save him, like make sure he's okay. And Schofield's like, no, we should just fucking put him out of his misery. And then it's because of Blake being like compassionate and merciful, he gets like shot and whatever or stabbed. Was it shot or stabbed? I can't remember. He gets stabbed uh, by, by the stabbed. German soldier. And that was one moment where it's just like when they're when they're trying to pull him out of the fucking wreckage. I'm like, do they not know they're in a war? <laughs> like that's the well, that's the guy they're supposed to kill. I think at first you you feel like maybe save him and 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 turn him in as a, as as a as a prisoner, but what was really weird is after Tom and stabbed and then he has a slow death, and and then all of a sudden these soldiers like walk up or whatever to Schofield, our 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 survivor character for the rest of the episode or the episode the movie, and. <laughs> It's like there's a giant British brigade there with like tents and fucking trucks. And it's like, wait, how did our characters not hear them moments ago or see them moments ago? It is very convenient. This plane crashed right next to a fucking like a, a, a setup, like a, a like an army setup, like an army recon unit. Like it fucking I did not understand that. It felt really fake. That was the one point where the long take really like was like, OK, you cheated. You cheated there there because there's no reason at all for this to be less than 25 yards from our characters who just had a fight with a German soldier to the death with a plane crash. And you guys were just off camera. <laughs> yeah. 30 guys were just behind the barn. Yeah. Behind. Yeah. It was behind a building. That, that was so that's like so like 
That's the moment where like the long take, I was like, oh, you just showed me something amazing with that perspective of the dog fight. And then you just ruined it with this unamazing, no way in hell would these characters be this close to a fucking British fucking unit. It didn't make sense. It was way too convenient. And I, and, and it took me out of the movie. It actually took me out of the movie. I, I was being taken out of the movie anytime they passed by a rock that, that was like just obscured the entire frame. And I'm like, all right, that's where they now we're in a new take every time, every time. <laughs> or every time they did a whip pan, right? The gimmick got out of the way. Any whip pan was like, okay, that's a take. Yep. New take. Apparently, uh, hot priest from Fleabag, Andrew Scott, he uh, had the most flubs, the most bloopers. And he fucked up a whole bunch, and he couldn't get his fucking take out. And people were like, fuck, man. What the fuck, dude? So interesting. He's fucking ruining this, and this is really intricate as fuck, dude. Like, stop it. He's, like, blaming it on the cigarette lighter, not lighting or some shit. I, I always see that guy as Moriarty from uh, uh, Sherlock. So uh, No, he's hot priest. He's hot priest. Yeah. I thought about watching Fleabag. Uh, I will. I will have to actually watch it because I am actually curious of of what what's going on. What is this? What is this nonsense? Um, let's talk real quickly about Alfred. Uh, Mendez. He's actually a hero from World War One. He wrote a book and he told the stories about his uh, experiences. And when he was um a grandfather to Sam Mendez, Sam is a little boy would sit up there and go, "Grandpa Alfie," he'd be like, "Yes, Sam." Like, Grandpa Alfie, can you tell me that story in World War One, in the Great War? And then he'd be like, yes, Sam. My story is about a messenger who has a message to carry. And then, like, he'd be like, oh, this is going to be a good one, Grampy. What the fuck's happening? Yeah, and he's like, shut up, Sam. And he hits him. Because, Why doesn't he have an English accent? Yeah. Hello, Gruff. Hello, Grandpa. Hello, Pop Pop. Yeah, it's Pop Pop. Hello, Pop Pop. Tell us a story about the old Great War. Shut up. Yeah, and the best story he has is one where he walked <laughs> to prevent a fight. So um, he probably told the true story of his own uh, event, uh, his own encounter, his own amazing story that told was essentially 1917. So um, uh, Alfred Mendez, uh, the story of a messenger that he recalls is something that he actually did and went through at the Battle of Puel Capel. And on the morning of October 12, 1917, Alfred M- Mendez, Sammy's de- uh, grandpa, his company commander received a message from the battalion headquarters that says, should the enemy counterattack, go forward and meet him with fixed bayonets. And this, this, uh, that's what the dispatch read. So uh, the report on our four companies urgently needed – oh, report on our four companies – Urgently needed is then what it said. Despite uh, the fact that he had little relevant experience aside from a single signaling course, Alfred volunteered to track down A, B, and D companies, all of which had lost contact with his own C company. So he has to go run into these different companies and provide this message. And that's what he did. So he went and he fucking went to no man's land with no experience at all. And he fucking snipers were shooting at him in no man's land. And they said eventually the snipers stopped shooting. He, he thinks that they thought he was just crazy running through no man's land, that they were just like, well, don't waste your ammo on him. He's a fucking crazy dude. So he continued running there and he ran overnight uh, over the course of, I think he said like two days. He uh, ran from a company to B company to D company and then back to C company. And he did that without a scratch. And he told about all these different hair raising experiences that, you know, that he would later would keep his grand and great grandchildren enthralled for nights on end. Oh, little Sammy. Oh, 
Where did you get that crazy story? So 1917 probably has a little bit to do with some of those stories. Hmm. Based on a true story. It seems embellished, though. Like, I don't I don't buy that the, the guy got stabbed by a guy who was, like, in a fucking dogfight and crashed five feet away from them. Fuck you. You said Alfred Mendez is a liar? Uh, I mean, most war vets are, are going to embellish a little bit. He's like a Forrest Gump. His two nights in World War One were like a Forrest Gump movie going down. He met the president. He also met uh, fucking Hitler in a trench. He fucking also met Church, uh, Winston Churchill somewhere. Uh, wait, what? Th- th- those are World War II people in, in Forrest Gump yeah, is like in Vietnam. What the hell? It's the prequel. It's like the prequel. He like bumped into him beforehand. And he like influenced their lives. He wasn't born that. <laughs> he was- yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. They both were. Yeah. Forrest Gump wasn't. No, not Forrest Gump, but Hitler was. Hitler was born and was fighting in World War One. Yeah, yeah. Winston Churchill was a young man during 1914 through 1918, or specifically April 6, 1917. Okay, I, I, I'm starting to understand what you're what you're going for here. Uh, yeah, no, it's good that they didn't do that. Um, they did do celebrity. They just did celebrity cameos, obviously. My and name is Rommel. You don't you don't run into famous historical characters, but you do run into fam- famous people playing just run of the mill fucking generals. Like uh, Colin Firth for one scene, Benedict Cumberbatch for one scene, Andrew Scott for one scene. That's all of them, I think. That's all of them, I think. Yeah. There's a French yeah. girl. Uh, there is a French girl. There's, uh, I think there's Mark Strong, right, for one scene. Oh yeah, Mark Strong for one scene. I forgot about him. Right, there's Mark Strong for one scene. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. But they they were well brought into the story through the action and the narrative of the story. And it was like I said, it's just so precise of the storytelling. Like the narrative had to be on this very specific track. And so these characters come in when they need to, and they're gone when they're out. Like you don't need this character anymore. Get rid of them. Yeah. This exposition dump is done. Out. Bye. Thank you very much. Oh, you set up emotion and that's all they need for this character? Great. And you're out. Good. We're moving on. The movie was very fast and it had to be very fast paced. And I kind of like that because if it wasn't that, if it was anything more than that, all of that walking would have lingered too long. It, it did. I thought too it, much. I thought it no, did. but I mean, like, if it was all, if the whole movie was mostly bumping into women and children and, like, you know, in, in villages and having to manage that and turning those into plot threads. That would have made the movie long, not because I hate women and children or anything like that, but because I, that would have made the movie feel long. You would just been like, OK, now we're into the tedious chores area of this film and it's a long take and I can't do this now. I can't do this now because like it, it would it, it would have been too much. It would have been way too much, in my opinion, at least. I thought it was t- t- too much. Like, Did I, you know um, in World War One that the fact that women and children were left behind and the men were taken, that's a real thing? So. Uh, the general uh, Eric uh, fucking like Ludendorff from uh, Wonder Woman, the guy that uh, what's his face? Danny Houston plays. Yeah. The real general. We've talked about him in World War One or we talked about him in the Wonder Woman. Uh, our spoiler cast. Wonder Woman's a World War One movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is. Anyways. So technically speaking, I, I also put down uh, the uh, Captain America. The first Avenger is one of my top five World War Two movies. Uh, so if, if that counts as a World War II movie, Wonder Woman obviously counts as a World War One movie. Yep. And so back to Ludendorff. So Ludendorff, General Ludendorff, he actually gave the command that said, take all the men. A little more fantastical. And, what? It's a little more fantastical, Wonder Woman. I mean, because all, all the... Yeah, all okay, the- but I'm not talking about Wonder Woman anymore, all right? <laughs> so anyways, so we're talking about 1917. Ludendorff actually said that uh, take the men, all the men, all the boys, all that shit... And, and and remove them because 
We want to remove all the assets to the enemy, meaning the, the French or the British or the Americans coming in. We want to remove their assets so they can't use anybody to, you know, to recruit anyone or, or to help them for manpower and leave them all the women and the babies and the girl children and all that stuff, right? Because then there's more mouths the other team has to feed. So it was like this incredible fucked up wartime strategic move that he pulled this this Ludendorff. Thank God, Wonder Woman in real life. He was German, right? He was German. He was German, yeah. yeah. And thank God, Wonder Woman killed him with a sword through his fucking chest. You just got mad at me for bringing up Wonder Woman. Can <laughs> you bring it back to Wonder Woman? I know. I just needed to bring it back. Just bring it back for funsies. So, um, I I I I liked uh, uh, the film. Uh, like I said. Did you like though? However, felt I'm curious. Did you like the intermission? What were he naps after getting knocked yeah, out? Yeah, the nap in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Uh, no, because like, well, I mean, no, because then it's it's it really undermines the whole. This is all one take thing because it's like, well, e even by your own admission, you didn't get it all in one take. Even though we know obviously that there was hundreds and hundreds of takes. At least together. seven. At least seven, sure, uh, that, that were stitched together. It's like, well, that breaks the narrative because then it's not even real time because he was he was just out for however long he was out for because he got shot in the head <laughs> and knocked backwards. Yeah, and the helmet got shot in the helmet. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's something I've all I fucking wondered about the entire movie. Um, all right, World War II helmets obviously go down and cover more of your head. And, no, and no, no. The uh, American helmets did. The British helmets didn't as much. The British helmets have that fucking rim around them. They're like fedoras, basically. And, and it's like, obviously, like, what's the advantage of that? Why, why, why they the World War II helmet? The, that's like the standard World War II looking helmet. And then there's the World War One helmet, which is just more of a helmet helmet. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, my favorite helmet is the Vietnam helmet. I love that helmet. Yeah, but that's just that's basically just a modified. Yeah, it's an updated World War Two one. Yeah, yeah, it's just an updated World War Two helmet. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure the Korean helmets were pretty much World War Two helmets as well. Because like, well, yeah, they they figured it out, and even modern fucking hel helmets are are basically just modified World yeah, War. Yeah, the II modern helmets. helmet though has a little bit more protection for the ear. That's something that's missing on all those earlier helmets. They didn't care about the ear as much. They didn't really think it mattered. And now later we're like, oh, the inner ear so important. Yeah. Don't want to damage it. Need to protect it. Absolutely. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. Yeah. One of the things they even tell people who are going to um, work in breaches and uh, like when you're like whether you're a SWAT or you're like, you know, the Navy or Navy SEAL type shit. Right. You're you're black ops, whatever. Fuck. One of the things they tell them is like when the when the uh, when the explosive goes off, when the uh, the the charge goes off, the detonation, open your mouth. So that the concussive oh, yeah, I've heard blast that. has actually a path to go into your body and out of your body. Yeah. Because whenever you're biting down, you just like keep that that whole blast, that force inside of you, and it fucks you up. I've heard that for for you keep your mouth open, otherwise your eyes could pop out. Yeah, or I mean there's a lot of things, but it really will fuck you up. It, it'll it'll give you a you'll probably suffer a concussion. It'll really fuck you up if you keep your mouth closed. It'll less fuck you up, considerably less fuck you up if you can keep your mouth open. But I was just talking about the hats because, you know, we are. Uh, oh, the hats? Hats are important. Yeah. How, why why they wear those stupid ass hats? Actually, so bomb squads in EOD, um, something that I have uh, in my family, um, they, uh, they, they wear helmets and shit like that, like they do in uh, like Hurt Locker. But one of the things that they, when they're actually working with the bomb directly, 
Um, at least I think this is true. I, I might be wrong now. But uh, they don't wear helmets because if the bomb goes off, if the blast from the explosion hits the helmet, it just rips your head yeah, off. That's in the hurt locker. That's in the hurt locker. They rip the head off in the hurt locker? No, no, no. no. Jeremy Renner takes off his helmet. Oh, he does? I forgot that part then. Yeah, it's when, oh, he's, when he's working on the car. I mean, his yeah, explanation they, is like it, it, the fucking armor is just going to get in my way of getting to the bomb and it will oh, not protect no, me at this level. The blast wave is likely to catch in the inside of the helmet and then the strap around your chin just grabs your head and just rips it off. While the other chance of it, if there's no helmet there, they also wear usually like a plastic thing in front of their face from a downward angle. So it kind of helps protect their face. Um if they're not wearing their helmet, then the blast can go just straight up past their heads, and it's like less likely to blow their head off. Yeah, I was just talking about why they wear such stupid hats in World War One. Like, why didn't yeah. they? Why didn't they realize to have the metal thing go like all the way down well, so you don't get shot in the back of the head? They wore even dumber hats in World War One. I. I mean, like the, the 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 German army had the point on the fucking helmet, and then they had like the the decorative helmets. Like everyone had decorative helmets too, and they were ridiculous, and they had feathers in them still, and. It was it was this weird time where they started the war off very traditionally and then very quickly realized, oh, my God, all this fucking gun shit we just built yeah. is like just mowing us down when we ride in like we used to do it. Uh, we, we can't do this anymore. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it started with Civil War technology and ended with World War Two technology, basically. Kind, pretty much. It ended with uh, with uh, aerial dogfighting along with aerial um, uh, uh, not only aerial combat, also, but uh, aerial bombing, as well as um, you also had aerial uh, spying. That's something that always started in World War One. You had also tanks in World War One. I. I mean, there was a lot of that shit. You're right. You're absolutely it's a very good point. And what you get from that is when you watch that transition happen over 1914 through 1918, you get no man's land. You get the section of the world where people just don't cross it. Cause like, I can't fucking cross that. What am I gonna do? I'm just gonna die. If I poke my head over this trench, I'm gonna die. And that's like that's both sides. That's, yeah. every, like, that's every side. That's everyone in every trench is going out. Hey, what are you doing? I don't want to die. You're forgetting about the one person who did, of course, cross no, no man's land. Alfred Mendez? Uh, no, uh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> she, oh my God. Oh, I, I honestly got fucking cry when I watched No Man's Land scene in Wonder Woman. I love that scene. Aww. I love it. It is so powerful. She's just standing there. She's deflecting bullets, and her fucking chest is so proud, and her bullets are being ricocheted off her bracelet, and her titties look magnificent, and her hair is blowing in the wind, and her fucking boobs are so perky in yeah. every fucking shot, and the ass is so tight, and the titties be on point. I love it. 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 I love Wonder Woman, not because she's sexual or anything. I love those titties and that ass. That's empowerment. That's empowerment right there. That's the reason why I love that movie. Not just ripping up a speech. Um, and by the way, this movie ends with this great scene um, of the charge, the charge that we were, you know, I was just making fun of. Everyone's like, I don't want to do it. And then they, but sometimes they have to do it because like Paths of Glory, the Stanley Kubrick film, um, when you don't charge, you, you get fucking executed or, or you get shot right then and there. Sometimes like the Russians just be like, yo, we can shoot you right here. Sorry. Sometimes the French would just do that. Be like, yo, we're just going to shoot you right here. Sorry. You're not going to run over. Boom. The Brits would do that. Boom. Sorry. You're not going to run. Run over that fucking no man's land or we shoot you right here. And so that happens sometimes. And so you just, you're like, okay, they're blowing the whistle. I got to go. I got to go. Ah! And you just screamed. War used to be so stupid. You screamed. Anyway, so we see one of those moments, right? As our character Schofield, who's finally gotten all the way to where he needs to get to. 
and he's running and the whistles are blown and people are running over and you got all the fucking shells are going off and it looks great and it looks exactly like they shall not grow old and it looks amazing and it's all I'm watching this in this fucking incredible digital fucking Dolby surround sound it's and lasers and fucking beautiful it's blowing my mind and the bass I can feel it in my chest everything's bouncing off my chest okay. in this theater and it's great and and then and then we get to like you know Fucking Colonel Cumberpatch, fucking Benedict Cumberpatch, Colonel McKenzie. Stunt casting took me out of the movie. McKenzie, McKenzie's, 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 Sam Menendez. Anyways, so we get to fucking Benedict. He's at the end, and he's just like, "I'll have none of this." And you're just like, "Ah, of course, of yeah. course." We why you? This is this is this is this is a cock tease. This is this is this is too much. Now you're doing it too much. Like, no, you didn't think it was going to cut to black as they charge over the hill. Yeah, that's it. Cuts. Yeah, no, but like, you, it's like when you're fucking. Like, you get the foreplay and everything. You work your way to fucking. Like, you take the time and you work your way to fucking. You get to the fucking. And it's great. You're trying different positions out. This is this is this is the equivalent of being told, "Don't come yet." Yes, exactly. So you're you're fucking blow. You're like you're oh so good. Oh my god. Oh, we're gonna change it up again. Yeah, good. That's gonna slow me down for a second. I can work it back up. Ooh ooh, and then it's like all of a sudden. You get to that moment you're about to come because everyone's running and they're all sprinting and bombs and shells and your main character's running so hard and the titties are bouncing. This comparison just, might be disrespectful to the survivors in, in the lost <laughs> in World War One. And you get to that point and Benedict's just like, hold on, sucker. And you and he like pulls your dick out. And, that annoyed me. Just, that annoyed me just because like Mark Strong set it up like so hard. It was like, just so you know, when you get to the guy, he, make sure there's people around because he's going to say no. And then you're going to have to show it to him, and then he'll say, yeah, okay. And then yeah, and that's what happens, and it's so lame. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, that just totally ruined all of my suspense going forward. Because I was kind of like, no, don't don't stop me there. I wanted that moment where he comes in and goes, I have a letter. And stop, like, the, stop the war, everybody. Stop everybody, the war, I have a letter. I have a letter from fucking Chaplin. And said, he said you have to have Who? <laughs> Charlie Chaplin. He's going to be famous someday. You'll see. It just continues the Forrest Gump, you know, thing. Everyone, everyone's mentioned. Did Charlie Chaplin fight in World War One? No, but he was probably a young man then. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I thought the all the stunt casting to the point where I was like, ah, who's the brother gonna be? And and then it was like, oh, it's a fucking guy who hasn't been on Game of Thrones for like six years. Game of Thrones, King Tom and King Robert. It was the kings. They're the brothers. King Blakes. Yeah, yeah. The Blakes, but yeah, so. And then I, I, I'm just going to say it. Whoever whoever the younger Blake was, the one who, you know, exits the film surprisingly when he gets stabbed, that is Tom. when I was interested. I was like, oh, wow, they're killing one of them. That's shocking. But, uh, you know, that then the movie kind of got extra boring and there was a long car ride. Um, and I just then got, there's a long car ride. What? Yeah, I like that. And then there was a long car ride. That car ride seemed like it was. It went on way longer than it needed to be, and they had to like stop and pu push it out of the mud. It's like Jesus Christ! Like this is supposed to be a war movie. Yeah, but then he finally got. You know, he it was it was getting it was getting to see Robert King Robert and like have him be like, you know what? It was all worth it if you write my mother a letter. I won't do it. Yeah, you write my mom that fucking letter and you tell her about what he did, okay? Because I don't know about any of this shit. I don't want to write. It. I'm too busy. I'm too busy dealing with this kid. I don't care about this boy. Um, bye bye. And then he goes off and he goes on a fucking nap. And it's one of those things like you're like, oh, look at that bookend. It's so cinematic. But is it? Is it? Is it cinematic? Because they end napping. They begin napping and end napping. Is that makes it cinematic? 
Uh, the answer is yes, it does. Uh, I was just uh, bringing up that Lance, Cor- the actor, uh, Dean Charles Chapman, who plays, yeah. I guess, Lance Corporal Thomas Blake. Yep. He looks so much like uh, young Ben Shapiro, that uh, who is a conservative what? commentator. That uh, I, 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 no, he, the, he very much does, <laughs> uh, as has been uh, tweeted at Ben Shapiro the entire week that the movie came out. Uh, they really tweeted that at him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every like all, all the people who were part of that network and, and just other people on Twitter who were part of that uh, intellectual dark web were all uh, like, "Hey, congrats on your role in 1917." Um, that that I, I was I was taken I was distracted by that the entire movie. I was just like, "That's weird." <laughs> Interesting. I was just thinking of Tommen mostly. That was about it. He he's he's filled out since Tommen. You know, he was. I feel like Tommen was a lot thinner, and he's kind of puffed puffed up in this movie. He is. He doesn't look like Ben Shapiro on on Game of Thrones, obviously. No, he definitely doesn't. Yeah, but that's the blonde hair. That's the I, the I, fact I, that he's a little I thinner. I, I'd have to kind of see the side by side. Maybe if you can find something, you can send, show it to me. Um, I I, uh, I I I think it was Tommen. I think I saw him in The King. Look, dude. If if you Google Ben Shapiro right now, Ben Shapiro nineteen seventeen is like the second thing that comes up. Weird, but ha- did it have to do with 1917 doing well at the Golden Globes or something? Uh, no, he just reviews movies on his podcast so often. Ben Shapiro does. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Golden Globes then. Yay, Golden Globes. Golden Globes. So we talked about Golden Globes in our Golden Globes gangbang episode just recently. We talked about the winners. And 1917 won for Best Picture in a Drama and Best Director. We both said, or at least I said, gotta have it for both of those. It was nominated for Best Original Score. It lost that. Thomas Newman was nominated, but it lost to Joker, and it really hot, babe. And I think I said love it to that. Uh, do you remember what the hot babe's name was? The French girl? Yeah, yeah, for the Joker. Yeah, the the, the Joker composer. Oh, God, no. Of course I don't remember that name. That, that it's 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 got like... All kinds of consonant vowel combinations that don't exist in our fucking our, our language. Even though I'm, I'll pull it up right now, and it's not I'm not going to fucking uh, be able to pronounce it. Hildor, Guad, don't donuts here. Like that's what is the fucking letter after the U? Hildur. I don't know. Gu, no, that's the theater. I have no idea. That's not one of our letters. And it's definitely not Italian. I don't know why I did it in an Italian accent. Hmm. All right, well, guess what? This episode just dropped after the Oscars. Yeah. And we this don't know what film, happened. 1917, got 10 nominations. Felk, let's quickly go through those 10 nominations. Like it, love it, gotta have it style. And let's say what we think for the. I, I guess, let's first of all think of it wins it. And then, like it, love it, gotta have it. Yeah, I wanna know both. No, I'm pulling up the other. I, wanna, I need to know who it's against. You need to find out. A, a, oh, 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 I see. No, yeah, to know whether or not it's going to win these things. Interesting. All right, so starting with Best Picture, Felk, 1917. Winner? Winner, chicken dinner? We're doing like it, love it, gotta have it to its, its chances of winning. <laughs> I, I I love it for its ch- for, a, for a Best Picture lock. I think it might get it, but uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the big upset, and... Uh, I, I mean, of these, I'd like Joker to win just because of the prestige it would finally give the comic book world. I think uh, gotta have it for best picture for 1917. Do you think it's it's winning? 
That, that means you think it's definitely winning. At least I got to have it. Yeah, of the three. Uh, of the three, I got to have it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Best director. Yeah, I, I, I oh. haven't seen Ford v, uh, v, v Ferrari. I'm sure it's great. Not a Best Picture winner. Uh, I like James Mangold. Irishman was 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 a uh, Jojo Rabbit is probably really awesome and maybe the winner. I think that actually should be there, but I have not seen it. Joker, I don't know. Little Women. Uh, I know they did something different with the story. I just Fucking don't Amy really Pascal. care. Marriage Story. I still haven't seen it, and it's essentially free to me. I pay for Netflix. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't think that's the one you're going to get it for Tarantino. So really to me, it's like 1917 or Parasite. I'm going to say got to have it for 1917. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably going to win. But I, I, again, because of uh, you got Scorsese and Tarantino up against them. Yeah, you never know what'll happen. Well, they're either gonna—it's it, either gonna be like uh, an award for like you know you're old again and you got something because you—it's been a while, Scorsese, or you're old and you haven't gotten anything yet, Tarantino. Yeah, well, see, that's okay. Let's move on to best director. So, best director for 1917, like it, love it, gotta have it. I'm gonna say gotta have it dinner. because I, I think what could happen is they give Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the movie best picture, but give best director. To Sam Mendes because they love gimmicks. And you said gotta have it for best director? Yeah, gotta have it. Yeah, I'm gonna say uh, probably gotta have it for best director. I think they love Sam Mendes. I think the Brits love Sam Mendes. Everyone loves Sam Mendes. And uh, they're gonna, I mean, I mean, fucking American Beauty knocked it out. Fucking right there. That's one of those huge ones that he actually got awards for. Fucking right, boom, again. So that's huge. And then he also gave. Kevin Spacey, who thou shall not be named, his first best actor. He already had best supporting actor because of Usual Suspects, but he got his best actor from American Beauty. Okay. So, yeah, Sam Mendes is just crushing it. I think he's going to crush it again as an Oscar. All right, moving on. Best original screenplay. Like it, love it, gotta have it. Who's going to win? Uh, definitely not uh, this movie. Uh, best original screenplay would probably go to... I think Quentin's going to win it. Maybe the Parasite guy's going to win it. See, this is where I see they give it to, to Quentin. I'm going to say Quentin's going to probably get it. So I'm going to say like it for best original screenplay for 1917. I'm going to give it a like it, which is the lowest chance. Uh, cinematography, however, I give it a love it. I think this is absolutely going to win best cinematography. Uh, so one of the things I have yet to mention, I, I want to take a second and just mention here while we're talking about the Deke. Roger Deakins um, and uh, Best Cinematography. Roger Deakins just won Best Cinematography, just like just like a, like a, a few years ago for. Uh, Hang on, <laughs> sorry again. I'm scared. <laughs> my God. Hang on. I don't. I I just my list. I'm on my phone because I have to can't use the computer. Sorry. Well, Sicario did well. It wasn't Sicario. No, he just won the uh, the other year for something big. What? What the fuck was it? God damn! I'm using this stupid Wikipedia list. Uh, he won for Blade Runner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, which he so, deserved. Okay. okay, so start over. I guess this time. <laughs> I'm gonna right. leave all this in. <laughs> Fuck that! This is so stupid. It makes it sound so dumb. No one cares. <laughs> all right, whatever. Are you listening, Barstool Sports? Fucking uh, so, Roger Deakins won fucking for best cinematography in Blade Runner 2049, and he deserved it for that. He also deserved it for Sicario. Absolutely, he deserved it for a lot of shit. Yes, this is him. At one of his peak, you know, moments, and I love the moment after Schofield wakes up after being knocked out from the the sniper. Right, 
and and they're doing the starbursts. They're doing the flares in the sky. And oh, it's, it's just, beautiful. Yeah, just going over all the rubble on the bombed out buildings and it, the way the lighting is just moving. Like it is. I, oh, the way he did did that lighting is so intricate, and I don't know how, but I know it was so intricate because he did. Incre- he did thousands of lights to do the lighting in Blade Runner 2049 for inside Jared Leto's be- bedroom. All of that lighting was like thousands and thousands of lights like he did to make that lighting work in that scene to have it constantly move and sweep and all throughout the bedroom with the water and stuff like that and the light that reflects off the water. All that was so crazy intricate and it was just all this timing that they were doing no, I agree. to make that work. That's one of the best he shot put that on full time. display in 1917 with those fucking flares going off. No, the movie's beautiful, and I, I definitely think that it, it wins this. In fact, this is the biggest lock of all of its... Uh... Yes. And the fact that it's obviously, since it didn't get anything for best editing, the fact that this is like, that's the other major aspect of this film is look how it looks like one long take. Yeah. Right. Obviously, yeah, fuck, it better win that. Yeah, it'll win. Moving on. So I say gotta have it. If I didn't Gotta say have that. it. Gotta have it. Too. Gotta have it. Best makeup and hairstyling. I don't give a shit for no, that. No, no, I don't think so at all. One. I don't even care what it's up against. I'm going to say like it because it's not going to win. I, I don't know what Judy is, but it's up against that. Maleficent, the sequel, uh, Joker and Bombshell. I think Joker or Bombshell will take this. So I'm going to give it a like it. I don't know why Joker is going to get makeup because it did some clown makeup. And Bad Grandpa didn't get anything for makeup. And it was just com- like that movie deserved it. And I think someone else won it that year, like Suicide Squad or something. Yeah, Suicide Squad did win Best Costume and Makeup. They did. Uh, well, that's mostly for Croc, I'm guessing. Yeah, Harley. They liked Harley's design. Joker probably does win this. You, it might be This might be the one that Joker wins, right? Joker's probably not going to win much. It's maybe the one Joker wins. Joker's got 11 nominations, well, I think. Well, yeah, no, Joker's going to win Best Actor. Yeah, it's probably going to win that. You're right. Joker has, I think, 11 nominations. This one only has 10. Okay, moving on to best production design. Like it, love it, got to have it. This one, let me see what it's up against. Uh, Jojo Rabbit the and the Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. Uh, it's got tough competition. I'm going to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is is a sure in lock, if not the Irishman. Maybe Jojo Rabbit even. Yeah, this is not going to get it. 1917's set design was it just looked like it was back lots, honestly. It looked like it was back lots. Yeah. And now I know how they made the film with stitching a bunch of takes. They did a lot of green screening. Yeah. And the I mean, the entire there was a, there was a set when they were when they go down the, the trenches and all that stuff. So, it's yeah, like, yeah. So. I mean, Probably it's not. not that amazing. They moved a bunch of dirt around, honestly, and then put fake grass on top of it. I, I bet you that the stuff that they did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I know for a fact what they did in that movie was huge. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to actually put my money behind that. So I'm just going to say like it for best production design for 1917. I would definitely say got to have it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a like it too. Uh, interesting that it, it didn't get a costume design. Uh, and that's maybe just because when you, you do war, people just expect you to... Uh, accurately replicate the real stuff and they don't give you a credit for it well i it, it's not too far removed yet feeling i think that they were like oh wow they, they look at all the stuff they did like they put stuff probably in their pouches and their pockets and all that shit like that's yeah. fucking amazing wow pouches i meant pouches um pouches. anyways pouches blousers so, <laughs> Taste the snod, uh, the snod. What do you think they call this? The the snod berries. They taste like snod berries. Yeah. Um. It's perverted. 
I I don't think they're going to re- represent that or recognize that in any way uh, yet in the, in the academy. I think if it was like a little bit more Elizabethan, then they'd be like, ooh, oh, look at the dress wear, the attire. It's so old. All right. Well, they, the Oscars always just does best sound editing and best sound mixing back to back, like their one award. Yeah, it's always the same two hosts. Uh, so yeah, they never swap for for those well, not two hosts. Uh, whatever presenters. Presenters, yeah. The Oscars has no hosts anymore. Just presenters. Best sound editing and best sound mixing. Uh, I, I'm going to give its chances of both of these a like it. It's up against too many other things. I actually think 4v Ferrari will take one of these. Uh, it's nominated for for both uh, as well. And uh, once upon actually, this might win. I think this will win one, but not two. Most of the no, people who no, fuck- no, they they the, more recently. They rarely separate them. They're that stupid. They're like sound mixing, sound editing, same one, same one, same one, same one. So look at the lists. Star Wars is on just, sound editing, but it's not on sound mixing. Well, so, so okay, let's let's just acknowledge that uh, we're we're industry people. We work in the industry, and we do know the difference between I best am sound not, editing. I am fucking. I'm a pizza You're delivery a, but yeah, driver. Okay, but, yeah, but I'm I'm a professional uh, television person, and, and uh, I'm a retired pizza delivery driver. Bowers a retired pizza delivery driver, but uh, we do know where did I get all this knowledge? The though? difference between best sound, <laughs> what sound editing and sound mixing is, and basically when you think about making all the sound for a movie. Um, all the work that goes into it, that's sound editing, like uh, create, yeah. putting all the things together. And the sound mixing is the guy who decides, yeah, that should be a little quieter. That part should be a little bit louder. <laughs> no, no, wait, no, no. The sound editing is a, is a team of people that you uh, that have to put the fucking movie together and work long hours and really crush it. And then the sound mixing people are like maybe a couple, like it's like, it's like a, a wife and husband or like a father and son. And they're just like sit behind a massive panel with a fucking movie screen in front of them. And they watch the movie over again. They go, let's just change it a little bit. Like they, like you said, but a little like, bit louder, honey, honey, can you go get me my tea? Or, oh, you know what? Actually, give me a flat white. You know how I like it. Thanks, babe. Just one oh, guy in just, a basement oh. <laughs> in the middle of the night deciding if things should be louder or quieter. And they can only work for about four hours because then the ears get burned out. Well, that's why the, well, that's why with the like sound mixers, they kind of like, sound mixing houses. They do have like people to turn and burn a little bit. They're like, okay, your 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 ears are done. Spend eight hours. Next guy, yeah, you know, and then the next guy sits in there. Meanwhile, there's an editor in a bay next next door who's been working for twelve hours and is motion sickness from sifting but- through sixty hours of footage. Sound mixers though are rock stars. They get treated like rock stars. I don't understand it. They have high egos. They're they're they they ha- they get out of control. They they sometimes just do whatever the fuck they want. And and you have to like the director has to go back in. The producer has to go back they're in. They're often and- weirdly Christian. All the people who are really deeply Christian I've met in the industry or tend to be sound mixers for some reason. Yeah, but I don't understand. <laughs> I, yeah, there's th- th- weird. It, that that's very true. It, 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 but at the same time, I just don't grasp. How sound mixers think they have so much clout. Like they just, there are times you deal with a sound mixer and they're just like, I didn't think any of your notes mattered. And you're like, but the notes fucking matter, dude. The notes do matter. Like you still got to do them. You can't just tell me my, that my notes don't fucking matter or that's or that the producer's notes don't matter. Or you keep getting notes back about how the music doesn't quite match up. Oh, this cut wasn't quite in the beat. I have to adjust it. I'm like, so do it. Why are you telling oh, me about it? Oh, my favorite is when they try to re-edit your music and they mi- and then they start missing visual edits because of it. Yes. Like, oh, my God. And then the cut's not to the, the beat anymore. Why did you change the music? 
Well, the music no didn't line up perfectly. It's like, well, who cares? The fucking edits do it. The visuals are what's important. Right now, I'm working with this one guy, and I, I literally told him. I don't him, know how much this there. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah. But, well, right now, I'm working with this one guy as a pizza delivery driver, entire pizza delivery driver. I'm working with this one sound mixer, and we gave him specific notes that we want natural sounds lifted and to be enhanced. And maybe for him to even add an additional more few like natural sounds from his own catalog. And what we got back was a a simple note attached to it that was, I decided that you didn't need the natural sounds, and I just went with a, he a heavy music-driven piece. Yeah. And we're like, what? what? You can't just do that. Yeah, if the sound editing's good, then you are, like you can remove sound mixers from the entire process in 90% of the scenarios it would be it would sound the exact same. Maybe a gunshot's too loud or some shit like that, or that door opening doesn't sound out reverby enough. That being said, I have a lot of really good friends there, Sound Mixer, at least three. And <laughs> and I want to say that like um uh, they're great. They actually are great. Um I don't want to call out one of them. Beat this name, Dorn. He uh, he's a great one. He is actually he's absolutely a great one. Yeah, no, yeah. The one sound mixer who's been on our show is, is good. Yes, the one sound mixer that's been on our show is excellent. Excellent work. All right, so I'm going to say uh, for this movie, oh, yeah, looking at the list. So Star Wars is under sound editing, but it's not under sound mixing, so Star Wars is not going to win at all. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's on both lists. 1917's on both lists. Joker's on both lists. Ford v. Ferrari's on both lists. Ed Astra is on sound mixing. Not going to win at all. I think Ford v. Ferrari gets So this. it's Ford v. Ferrari, Joker, 1917, or Once Upon a Time. I would say Ford v. Ferrari probably has yeah, the best audio with the cars and the gears and all that shit. Yeah, that's, the engine's roaring. The people voting on this hear, hear gear shifts and fucking engine sounds, and they go, oh, that's... Makes them hard. That's, that's mixing's hard there. That's so hard. It makes me hard. Okay, so... Like it for both sound editing and sound mixing for me. Yeah. And now visual effects, which is a big one. Big one. No fucking way does this win. Avengers Endgame will win. Maybe the Lion King will win. I think uh, it. Uh, Star Wars is also up there for Rise of Skywalker. Irishman's up there. I don't there see as well. Star Wars getting it. It's almost like cheating. Irishman's up there as well, along with 1917, just so you know. Hmm. Um, Irishman, I, I I did not like the visual effects of Irishman. Yeah. At times, it felt like you were watching Pixar heads on top of characters in the middle of a real live action sequence. You're like, why am I watching a CGI yeah. Robert De Niro head? If the Irishman had pulled it off flawlessly, then yeah, it would probably be something that would win. But I've, I've seen enough of the Irishman to know it doesn't pull it off flawlessly. So uh, yeah, it was really close though. At times, it was. Um, I'm gonna say Avengers Endgame. It, the whole movie, Marvel films. Have really, really started. If you go back to like the first Incredible Hulk and even the first Iron Man, they didn't have a really CGI sheen to them yet. And then by the after Phase One ended and they got to Phase Two, everything started having this like CGI sheen. Especially uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Yeah, Age of Ultron's it's, where it starts. It's like it's really bad in that movie though. Um, I I really thought Endgame. It, everything looked really great, but it still had that CGI sheen to it. So it, Lion King is incredible, but it's not a good movie. It's incredible visual effects. Yeah, that, that's that movie is just a big VFX demo. So that's why I think that'll that has a good shot at winning. Star Wars, on the other hand, if you're see if you're saying visual effects, maybe you're counting puppets. And Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker, I'm pretty sure had actually had a lot of real puppets in it too. Mm -hmm. 1917 no, say, doesn't win. That's all that really matters here. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna say like it for 1917. Like it. It's not gonna win. I think Star Wars might have won that. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, that's it. That was our show, 1917. So once again, I'm a four out of five boys, and Felk, you were a... I'm leaving it two and a half. Two and a half out of five boys. Very nice. All right. That, I'll read the credits now. Cool Boy Nation, tell us what you thought about 1917 and how many boys out of five you would give it by emailing us at thecoolboyspodcast at gmail.com. New episodes come out every week, but usually on Tuesdays. Be sure to like and subscribe to The Cool Boys and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please check out our other great Cool Boy Central content with Batman and Beyond on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. So so many more places than than the flagship show of the Cool Boys Empire. Uh, thank you so for listening. So many more. Stay cool, Boy Nation. Yes. I don't always do that. Stay cool, Cool Boy Nation. Until next time, it's Byzies from Private Folk, and that's Byzies from Major Ballard. Major. You are standing American boy. You have excelled in all things. I pump while I dump. Oh, yeah. So cool. Oh, yeah. So cool. Oh, yeah. So cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this episode of the Cool Boys podcast was brought to you by. Felk, I really enjoy our World War II spoiler cast episodes, and I want to do a Midway one because I like these war talks. We have good conversation. Dunkirk was a great way to discuss stuff. We did another episode just before that where we talked about World War II with Noli. Um, Dunkirk was just you and I. Uh, we can't get into that because that started a fight. Yeah. No, that's not a factor anymore. Noli's in the quantum. Yeah. Though. Oh, and thank God. Let's just say to keep the episode somewhat timely. Thank God Nolan's in the quantum realm and he didn't have to see his beloved 49ers get so close uh, and then lose uh, the Super Bowl in front of everybody. That was pretty sad. I I, got to say that was uh, we were riding high here in the Ballard household. We were all a very excited bunch and fourth quarter, everything just kind of uh, got blurry. Yeah. Well, it, was, it wasn't. Wasn't it tied when you when uh, Shakira and, and J Lo started shaking their asses? It was still tied at that point, right? I thought the Niners were ahead then. Oh yeah, maybe they were. Yeah, and then all the masses. But my God, what was Shakira doing with that tongue thing? I loved it. It was ridiculous. But my kids, my kids were watching J Lo doing Super Bowl dances, which I loved, and then they had Shakira doing like fucking. Like Kungalingus. JLo straight up spread her vagina in front of everybody. I was just like, whoa. I love that there was like so much sexualness in, in, in the halftime show. It, it felt like they were not trying to shy away from it so much this time. Yeah, there's been a lot of people saying if you uh you thought the halftime show was too sexual, it's 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 a uh, it's because you're racist. I'm trying to find that article right now. <laughs> it's because you're racist? Well, because yeah, because that that's just the way those cultures dance. And and, and the tongue thing is just part of uh Lebanese culture, so uh, if you have a problem yeah, with it. I was going to say, Shakira, yeah, she's something from the Middle East. I thought, yeah, maybe. Well, she's Colombian and Lebanese. Okay. And then Jayla is just from the block. Well, yeah, because she's a Colombian pop star. Yes. I mean, there was a lot of Spanish <laughs> during the halftime show. I thought that was uh, uh, weird <laughs> how much of it looks. I didn't understand what the hell they were saying the entire thing. 
I loved it. I love I, I love the, the, the they ended it just by overtly shaking their asses at the camera. Like we're not gonna fucking hide this. This is what this is. Oof. I know. And they were wearing some revealing outfits. It was awesome. Yeah. All right. Um yeah, that was the episode. Yay! Get some cool boys. <laughs> <laughs> so serious.